things. Number one, I think law school is way too expensive. I, I don't know what the fees are for U of A, but U of C's are are not the highest in the country. There are several university or law schools in in Toronto that are just ridiculously <laughs> yeah, high. Insane, yeah. And, yeah. And another outcome of COVID is law schools saying, do we need all their bricks and mortar? Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Good Lawyer Show. I'm your host, Matt Scrivens, and back this week is co-host and CEO of Good Lawyer, Brett Colvin. Today on the show, we are discussing one of our favorite topics, the future of law with Mitch Kowalski. Mitch is a man who juggles many responsibilities, which include being a professor of legal innovation at the University of Calgary, legal counsel for a company out of Toronto, a multiple-time author, a podcast host, as well as many others. Mitch's work has been featured in many places, including a reoccurring column in the National Post, and if all of this wasn't enough, he has given talks around the globe on the topic of legal technology and the future of law. Despite his impressive resume, as you will hear, he breaks down the issues facing the legal profession in an easy-to-understand and approachable way. As per usual on The Good Lawyer Show, our conversation covers numerous topics including the problems with lawyers not being good business people, the inherent skeptical nature of lawyers and how this negatively affects their willingness to adopt new technology, whether the changes to the legal profession we have seen during the COVID-19 crisis will remain permanent, and Mitch even goes full professor on me at one point, schooling me on the history and origins of the billable hour. To find out more about Mitch, visit his website at kowalski.ca or follow him on Twitter at mekowalski. All links included in the show notes. Before we jump into the conversation, we at Good Lawyer are still offering free 15-minute legal advice sessions to you or your business if you are facing any COVID-19 related issues. Simply visit our website at goodlawyer.ca, click on our COVID-19 resource page, and book your free legal advice session with one of our fantastic lawyers by entering the promo code hashtag wash your hands. All right, that's it for me. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Mitch, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well, guys. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, doing very well. Thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, happy to be on the show during during these COVID times. Right. Yeah. Excellent. So, you, well, and I'm I'm like, I'm kind of like a fanboy of Mitch because I was reading <laughs> Mitch's stuff back in first year of law school when I started getting the innovation itch. <laughs> okay. Now, now I'm blushing. But. Yeah, it's true, Mitch. It's true. I didn't I didn't let on to that when we met because I was trying to play it cool. Yeah, that's what you're known for, Brett. Playing it cool. That's uh, that's what everyone says. Have you seen my glasses, Matt? Yeah, you're looking good. You're looking good. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so Mitch, you're based out of Toronto. Obviously, uh, we've been living through a pretty interesting time with COVID. And just when you think things couldn't get any worse, obviously, we've had some uh, protests er erupt over North America and the world. Uh, how are things going with you? <laughs> well, great. Uh, well, actually, great up until today, because today, I don't know if you guys caught this, but uh, the Supreme Court or the courts in Newfoundland have decided that they're going to go back to paper, that once the emergency is over, this whole virtual courts thing and e-filing is just way too hard for them. And they're, they're going to go back. Oh, <laughs> just, and quite frankly, that I've been saying that to people for the last few weeks when people say, you know, what keeps you up at night and all this sort of stuff. And I said, rolling backwards, right? Where this is, this is a really, 
good crisis to have in some ways, obviously not if you have, you know, get sick, but the silver lining, if there is a silver lining, is the fact that it pushes us in legal to do things differently right. because we have no other choice. And so when I read that news, I was like, you got to be kidding me. That is just absolutely insane. So um, that's a little disappointing. But also today, just at the end of the day, uh, the attorney general out here in, in Ontario has said that, no, it's full steam ahead on doing as much as we can through video or e-filing or, or what have you. So, you know, you take the good with the bad. Right. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought the good up there because the first comment was just making me think, um, you know, if lawyers who have been, you know, provided with this, you know, pretty important, you know, privilege and responsibility, if they're not going to move the needle on things that are, you know, frankly, unbelievably obvious who's going to push them to do so yeah exactly well the, the, you know the other thing that people talk about is well you know what happened with the great financial crisis right 08 09 and how come that didn't move the needle and the short answer is well because a it didn't hit everybody in the economy it hurt and cert hit certain sectors but also they didn't force lawyers to really do anything right. that dramatically differently so no. here, it's just like, no, you can't go to the office. You can't access your files. Deal with it. And well, miraculously, things still happen yeah, exactly. and get yeah. done. Amazing. Yeah. Shocking. We're, we're talking mail-in ballots yeah. right now, you know? It's oh, like, really come cool. on. Well, I can tell this is excellent. All right, well, we're going to have no problem with conversation. But before we jump into all of this, which I'm <laughs> very much looking forward to, Mitch, why don't you just give a brief background on, on who you are and uh, how you've come about the jobs that you have and how you've, how you've become a, um, a thought leader in the legal community. Straight sure. up. Yeah, straight up. Well, you know, I, I have a law degree. I practiced law for many years in Toronto and a number of different areas. I was a partner at a couple of firms, including an international firm. So that, that's an interesting dimension. And then I was in-house counsel as well. And then I had some uh, business roles. And uh, around the GFC, I was just sort of scratching my head and saying, why am I so unhappy and disappointed with this profession that I've spent so much time and money on? So then I read Richard Susskind in 2008-09. And Everyone I talked to had never read him, and so I was a little disappointed in that. But also, it I, I understood, it's like, wow, I'm not the only one feeling this way. I'm not some kind of weirdo thinking, gosh, there's a better way to do things. And so... Well, maybe still a weirdo, but there's at least a few of us. <laughs> exactly. And so that led me into, you know, writing the books, uh, consulting in this area, and teaching at the law school of Calgary, and uh, now building out a law firm, uh, not a law firm, but a law department in a corporate setting in Toronto. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, what do you think of Suskin? Because if yeah. you're talking about the book I'm thinking of, it was called The End of Lawyers. Yep, exactly. End yeah. of Lawyers. Yeah, he, came out with a, he came up with a slightly warmer title later, but... Uh... Yeah, it's, it's, um, that's the one that I really go to. And I, mm -hmm. I picked up his other ones. And for, you know, guys, as you know, you know, when you're into this area, a lot of the stuff in his later work is variations of the same theme. So right. it's, it's not as gripping as the first one. Um, but, you know, for the, what we have to remember is we live in a bubble and that there's still loads of people. Here we are in 2020. There are still lots of people who don't really have, uh, haven't really cottoned on to these things. And so 
it's it's useful for him to keep pumping out things um, because not everybody reads every ever book. So uh, there's still an audience there. Well, and I remember when I started, when I first started practicing at BLG, uh, the managing partner at that time, who I had a ton of respect for, Dave Whalen, he gave every articling student two books to read. One was called The Trusted Advisor and one was Tomorrow's Lawyer. And, oh, you know, perfect. my one comment there is like, I don't think he's handing out a book that says the end of lawyers. <laughs> so he, you know, he, 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 he like, you know, refined the first book, which I found like you extremely gripping, watered it down a little bit, but more, made it more palatable and, you know, potentially more effective because it could be put in front of more people, uh, but more palatable to the, the lawyer segment he's targeting. Yeah, no, exactly. But the, the, the thing is with titles is that, you want to have a title that that stands out, right? That kind of jumps out. And when you're talking about legal stuff, it you know, there's, it's hard to come up with a really gripping title. So I, I get while he says, you know, the end of lawyers question mark and that, you know, the publisher probably pushed him into that as well to say, look, come on, we got to really jump jazz this thing up. So, uh, but uh, he doesn't need to do that anymore. So, so you've written two books, if I'm correct, if I'm correct with that. And uh, what, do you want to just give us a very quick overview of uh, what inspired them and what they're about? Right. So the first one, Avoiding Extinction. Um, Amazing title. Sorry. Was, yeah. Great title. <laughs> Amazing title. <laughs> Thank you. It's, uh, and we went through variations with the publisher on that one as well. But that one, I wanted to do something that wasn't a textbook. Right, because uh, Richard's stuff is is kind of textbooky, mm-hmm. booky, mm-hmm. right, and which is fine. That's not really my style. I can't really write in that manner. And also, I was concerned about accessibility. I wanted to have something that people would read through from cover to cover, hopefully, and not say, "Yeah, this is something I'll read from time to time and pull it off the shelf." Maybe I'll read chapter two now or chapter three. So I wanted something that would uh, force people to read it. Mm-hmm. hopefully. And so mm-hmm. I picked a narrative style. And so that book is very narrative style. It follows characters going through living in a law firm. It deals with in-house counsel and the things that they think about and talk about and do in order to create a better experience for themselves and the people they serve. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, an interesting story about that book is that it's kind of hit and miss with that style because some people really, really like it. And they say, oh, that's, that's great. And other people say, dude, it just sucks. I hate that style. I <laughs> want a textbook. Face? <laughs> yeah. Jeez. People say, yeah, it's just like, no, I want a textbook. I want, you know, very yeah. prescriptive. So, you know, it's so, so it is a weird, <laughs> it was a weird reaction to that. So the second book was The Great Legal Reformation, which was magazine style writing, which uh, of vignettes of different firms that I'd traveled to and visited throughout the world. And the point of that really was to just allow people to see that all these theories could actually be put into practice and oh, what they would look like and, you know, how people will react to them. So that's, uh, you know, people, people like that one as well, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's where we are at in the books. Well, if you ever want to do an op-ed on uh, the good lawyer story, you know, we're very excited about that. <laughs> I tell him not to say this, Mitch, but he never listens to me. I can't help it. I can't help it. I don't, you got it. No, no. Love to. We'll we're, going, we're, going, we're going for a movie. So any, any plans for a third at this point or is, uh, are, are you pretty happy with where, where you're at with two? Two's pretty good. Uh, yeah. No, I think I'm going to do a third. Uh, probably see... 
The amazing thing to me is that avoiding extinction will be 10 years old in 2022. Right. So it's eight, eight years old now. So it seems to me 10 year anniversary is probably a good time to put out a third book right. that will probably be, and is still kind of percolating in my mind and in my notes now, will be an update of avoiding extinction. So what is it? Okay. what does that law firm look like in 2022? How has it changed? What things you know, we thought were really great in 2012 that didn't work out so well, but what new things can we think of and do now in 2022? So I think that's probably what will happen. Excellent. And, you know, just as like a foreshadowing to that book, you know, I feel like the title could be Holy Shit, Nothing's Changed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I I could title every talk (laughs) I give on it. It's like, gosh. You know, it's ten we, years, guys. We've yeah. we've moved an inch. It's 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 interesting because you know we've moved, and yet, as you say, we haven't moved, and it's more an adoption thing. There's there's lots of stuff mm-hmm. going on, and I think this is a period of time where we've spent the 2010s getting everybody introduced to this, getting them acclimatized to new ideas and new things, so it's not so scary anymore, and and it's has a wider dissemination across the profession, but the adoption rate is terrible, right? right? So, so the 2020s is sort of, how do we actually make this uh, go viral across an industry that it should have gone viral across, you know, 20 years ago, really? Right. Totally. And I mean, yeah. just jumping, cause I just listened to your podcast uh, earlier today and you know, the law firm structure and how the one, you know, the lawyers in charge, are least incentivized, you know, to make changes and they're closest to being done. And they're just like, you know, the decision makers have the least to gain, which is very problematic. Yeah, it's the the whole concept of um, legacy and the concept of the firm being greater than the sum of its parts and carrying on long after you're there. And so, you know, investing in the firm as if that were the case or just absent in the law firm model because as you said you know everybody's in it for themselves you take your draw out uh, by the end of the year and you start at zero again in january and everybody just runs around tries to build a lot of time and you take your money and off you go (laughs) and uh everybody's you know the ownership of the company is all at different life stages so i just don't understand how uh as a business model that works, it does, right? Yeah. Just by some miracle, but you know, by the fact that there's not a lot of competition. Um, the it's only a, competition because we have a legislative monopoly. Yeah. yeah, and so it's you know when people when lawyers say, "Oh no, there's lots of competition." Yeah, there's lots of competitions by people who look exactly like you. So is that competition? I don't know, but I would think not. Right. It's like gas stations competing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. So well, you, lots you of work to do. Yeah. And you've kind of, uh, you're, I think you're at least touched on part of the answer there, but I think I would love just to hear, uh, obviously knowing a bit of your work now, uh, you obviously take exception to some of the ways that legal services are delivered. Uh, so like what, in your opinion, like, what do you think the major issues with the current model are and, and why does this industry need to reform itself? Like, what is it exactly that's, that's going so wrong? Right. So I think structurally, as we touched on, there's a right. problem in, in that. But it's not just that. It's lawyers 
um, the people who run law firms may be great lawyers, but they're not necessarily really great business people. And they haven't been trained to be really good business people. And there's no reason for them to be trained in that way. Right. And so when you, when you have organizations that don't have that kind of training, I think that's, that causes a problem. I think there's also a problem with the fact of how um, we're, how we price ourselves, how we get paid for our services. Uh, it's very easy to go by a billable hours model and just, you right. know, I spent eight hours and my rate is, you know, 400 bucks an hour, which is a totally arbitrary made up number, but that's what I think I'm worth based on no evidence whatsoever. And, <laughs> and, and next year I'm magically worth, you know, another 25 bucks an hour again, based and, on nothing other than I just want to make more money. And I'm the same as every person in my year at the firm yeah. because we're all the exact same. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and all, all the time I spent on, on every file doing whatever it is, whether it's making a, a, a note to file or answering a phone call or whatever, is the same value as when I'm thinking about a really hard legal problem. Mm-hmm. And so, That's um, a great point. So, so, the, so the pricing is a little bit off in terms of being disconnected from what clients really want, which is a solution to their problem. Um, and the incentives with in order for you to move ahead in your law uh, uh, legal career are also off because the incentive is to be as wasteful and slow (laughs) and inefficient as possible because then you'll build the most hours and that is a primary driver of whether you make partner or not and and how your draw goes so there's there's a bunch of problems with the model that that skews everything (laughs) right uh, badly and also makes everything much more expensive, right? And inaccessible for people, for regular people, regular everyday Canadians. And the difficulty that I got to touch on too, which I found like super interesting when I became a lawyer or even before I became a lawyer and I spoke with lawyers when I was, you know, painting their houses or whatever. And they advised me not to go to law school. And we just had Tony, the yeah. past president of the law city of Alberta on the podcast, you know, not <laughs> recommending people go to law school. And like, that's the crazy part is that, lawyers are struggling too and like are you know huge mental health issues huge rates of depression like lawyers don't like being lawyers a lot of the time people struggle to access and it's and it's and it's a model and it's like the the whole um apparatus that isn't benefiting the service providers and is certainly not benefiting clients no exactly it it is just bizarre and so one of the one of my past students at UFC, I brought her back to, to the same class, Brett, that you went to, that you came and saw today's and was very gracious and the, the students loved you guys. But what she said, uh, when she said she came out of law school, she started her own firm. She works from home. She's, you know, as automated as possible because she works from home. She doesn't want to waste a lot of time, digitize as much as can. And she's making, you know, really good coin for a young lawyer with the overhead of virtually nothing, right? Totally, Hundreds of dollars, right. a few hundred dollars a month. And, and so if we can get people to start thinking about providing legal services in a different way, it helps her. She's, um, she has little kids. She has a stay-at-home husband. So totally. she's like going, I, I fit law into my life. And guess what? I actually make decent coin. I probably make more than you guys make as a first-year lawyer at BLG at so. Jones. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it's a bit eye-opening for students yeah. to, to think about things differently. But A hundred percent. 
And, you know, I, I just got to jump in there because I'm uh, liable to forget this point, but I was thinking this the other day and I feel like the, the lawyer of today or like, you know, lawyers of yesteryear, like the main draw to it was obviously income, but also mm-hmm. like this, right. you know, prestige, this sort of like weird, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's hard to put a, your thumb on it, but it's there. And that was a big piece. And, you know, that's symptomatic in like the huge towers we work in, the, you know, the expensive foyers, like you get a lure to this like prestige. And I don't think the future lawyer is going to look like that. I think the future professional more generally, even it's going to be, you know, a, above average income, but it's going to be about freedom. And it's going to be about, you know, you can work from anywhere because you're a professional and you can provide the service from anywhere. And that's the value of being coming a professional as opposed to this, like, prestige thing that I don't, I didn't attribute a ton of value to. And I think it's losing it with the younger lawyers. Yeah, totally agree. I think you've really hit it that the future really is about just providing some good, good work to some good clients on, on terms that you can live with and everything else is just window dressing. Yeah. So just playing devil's advocate here, the billable hour has, is, as old as the day is long, you know, it's been around for forever. Is there not a reason for it? Like, do you think it's just all there solely to protect uh, institutional lawyers or is this actually uh, a fundamental problem that is, it is a little bit more difficult to get around than maybe some imagine? Well, okay. So historically it's, it's Smith, hasn't, you're, you're it, it, <laughs> it hasn't been around as long as you think, right? Okay. Uh, because it, it, there's a, there's an interesting video again that I talk about in, in our class where it really started to take hold in, you know, sort of the early 1950s. So, you know, uh, before that lawyers charged just kind of based on, you know, I don't know, I think I did a good job. So give me a thousand bucks or whatever. Okay. Right. Uh, the problem with that is that apparently lawyers before that time uh, didn't, you know, they did okay, but they weren't where they are now, where everybody goes, oh my God, you're, if you're a lawyer, you're going to make mega bucks, right? Those, that was not a reality at that time. And so it was a decent job doing good work and it had some prestige because you were doing some important things depending on what mm-hmm. you did. Right. Uh, and so the lawyers in the United States in particular said, you know, <laughs> When we look around at the other professions, you know, the dentists are making more than us, doctors, and something's wrong with this. And, and so the concept of billing for your time and recording time started to take hold. And also then you had corporate clients saying, well, this whole sort of, you know, I'll just charge you five grand for this work is a little bit too mysterious for us. We'd like mm. to put some metrics around it. And so we'd like you to track your, their, your time and charge us on that basis. Then we know that you actually did some work on it. And so, of course, now we're stuck with this thing and that corporate clients are now saying, wow, that was a really bad idea. Um, we, should have, we shouldn't have opened our mouths. So it's, it's, and in fact, one of the first speaking gigs I gave when I first, uh, when Avoiding Extinction first came out, uh, was a law firm out in Vancouver and a very, very senior old partner who was, you know, in his 80s or something at that time said exactly that. He said, you know, when I first joined the profession, we didn't do this. Hmm. We just we just said, what's the value to the client? And, uh, you know, it's, it's not as easy as just doing the math. Um, it's more art than a science. But 
that's how we used to do things. So um, it was interesting to me to actually meet somebody who practiced <laughs> during that time. He said, yeah, we, we didn't do this when I started out. So uh, will we go back to that? Hopefully, um, you know, we certainly have the tools to go back to that kind of value-based billing approach um, if, there's, uh, if there's lawyers who want to do it. And right. certainly the clients, I think, uh, are more than happy to, to accept that. Well, yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's an apportionment of risk, right? Like mm -hmm. the billable out model puts all of the risk on the client who's in a worse position to judge what the value of that service is. Right. And you know, I always laugh when lawyers are like, I don't know, it's, it, it, it depends. And I'm like, okay, but how much does it depend? Cause like if the range is like 200 bucks, like you can average it out and you know, win in the long run and every other service industry, almost every other service industry, which law is, you know, yeah. you, when I ran the painting business, you know, you go, you quote the job, you guess yeah. how many hours it's going to take you and exactly. then you price it. And sometimes you win, sometimes you lose and everybody leaves knowing what the price is up front. Yeah, yeah no, Brett, you're a hundred percent. And is when I was a real estate lawyer and I'm well, still am a real estate lawyer, but from the very early days of my career, I always had to bid for work because I did mm -hmm. financing work for some, uh, for some lenders. This is and exactly so, what I did as a lawyer. It, Right. So you have to bid for the work. Otherwise, the other law firm gets it. So you have to really think about this stuff. And sure, you don't always win, as you pointed out, but it kind of averages out over the year that, you know what? Yeah, this file, I didn't spend as much time on it, but that makes up for the file that I, I didn't estimate. Right. And that's just that's called business. Right. That's called life. <laughs> um, and then, it, you know, after a while, you get pretty good at it. And right. any lawyer who says, you know, within certain defined fields who say, gosh, I really don't know how much that's going to be. Um, you have to sort of wonder, well, dude, if you've been practicing for, you know, at least five years, you gotta, you gotta have done this before. And if you haven't done it before, maybe you're the wrong guy, but certainly you gotta have some idea of, of where, where this thing could go wrong and we can build in some uh, some change orders pricing yeah change orders yeah. It's exactly. like, if there's yeah. something crazy we'll price it in later <laughs> exactly when you when you when you paint the house and you say oh you know what actually could you do this too you say sure yeah. and the price of that is x it's not hard it's not hard it's really not hard interesting so so obviously one of the solutions to this is better use of technology among other things but that is a, a fairly obvious one and we've seen the uh you know many other industries whether it be healthcare to banking to the way we shop adopt technology on a pretty rapid pace over the last decade uh it seems that the legal community is a little bit more resistant to that uh first off i guess do you agree with that statement and and why do you think that is or does this go back to the same kind of protectionism that is a little bit rife in this industry yeah i don't think it's protectionism i think it is the mindset of lawyers or people who go into law so a couple of things first of all lawyers score off the scale in skepticism <laughs> if you look at studies that who are yeah. the most skeptical people, lawyers are like way above the, the human average, right? And so, and, and that's also how we're trained, right? It's like, okay, don't take the other guy's argument at face value. Don't accept everything. Really look for the holes and dig into it and dig into it and dig into it. So that kind of person isn't open <laughs> to new ideas <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's hard to convince of new ideas. Right. And the other thing is, is that lawyers, and, and this is probably a corollary to skepticism, is the fact that lawyers um, have a difficult time seeing the possibility, right? So seeing that, 
yes, there is an alternate future ahead um, that you can go to because they're skeptical. And, it, and unless you show me absolute firm proof that that alternate reality could come true to me um, at very low risk to me, because we're also highly risk averse, mm. um, I'm just going to you know, keep doing what I'm doing because I'm comfortable, I know how to do it, and I know what happens when I do it this way. And what the benefit of COVID is that's forced them into an alternate reality where you can say, oh, I guess I actually can do things in a different way and the world didn't cave in. So it's, it's really those points that are driving us more than protected, protectionism. There's some of that, but I think it's more, um, yeah, the, the way we're made up. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't think it's I don't think it's intentional at all. I think mostly it's subconscious right. and it's just the type of person that ends up in law. And then the one exacerbating factor I, I think that you didn't touch on was the expectation, whether it's a right or wrong expectation, but at least the feeling for lawyers that they have to be perfect all the time. Right. Sure. Exactly. You know, like you can't any little mistake, a comma yeah. in the wrong, like it's just always is like, well, and that's drilled into you, right, Brett? Like we all know the horror stories of that, that cost him a hundred million dollars for that missed comma, you know, and that's almost, it's almost taken on the, the status of folklore and you're, you're indoctrinated with this even before you get to law school. Totally. And what's funny about it is like that feeling that they need to be perfect, I feel like pushes lawyers or makes them scared to change as you've, right. you've noted. And like, you know, a big piece of that change today is adopting technology when in fact, adopting technology is going to make that threshold to meet, you know, so-called perfection a lot easier right. because there's just, there's rate, you know, guardrails built in that you don't have to worry about anymore. Yeah. A hundred percent right on. Yeah. And, and so then I guess, would you, this would explain more than just the uh, firm's issue as then as well, because if we look at the court system, which isn't on a billable hour or anything like that, they're having issues too, keeping up with everything. And, it, and I guess maybe this resistance to change would explain why that is. Would you agree with that? Or is there some other yeah. reasons for that as well? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think um, judges, what, look, the people who are judges are, you know, not at the younger end of the scale, right? right. They've been brought up um, in a system and they've been taught that is the system that has to happen, right? We can't do it any other way because that's the way we've done it for generations. Yeah. So that that bias to keep doing things the same way in a court system is is quite quite large, um, and so that's in my view what keeps the judges back. Is well, and they, oh, sorry. right? They're 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 just at a stage of their life where a you probably don't want to learn new things and that's not all judges, but a fair amount. Right. And also they've just been trained forever that this is, the, you know, you have to, you know, follow this process, right? right. Because I, for, for no particular reason other than we've always done it this way. So changing that process or doing something differently, the, the, the weirdest thing I hear is when people say, no, we can't, we, we can't have a virtual hearing. And I say, well, but there's, but there's no witnesses, right? So it's just two lawyers <laughs> arguing about stuff. Well, no, because I really got to see the judge's eyes and you know all this kind of stupid, weird, bizarre stuff. But that's yeah, totally. the mentality for, for you know, unfortunately, too large a segment. Yeah, and I think what often and you know, very importantly, gets overlooked is because there's always reasons, there's always justifications. 
but what's the downside? How many people, how many more people will not get help or how many years will people have to wait? And so, you know, I think as a profession, we need to start attributing way more value to all the people that are not getting our help because of all of our, you know, to put it bluntly, yeah. stupid rules. Okay. Yeah. All our little idiosyncrasies yeah. that, um, you know, and, and in fairness, right. When, when courts were invented, you know, hundreds of years ago, a lot of this stuff made a lot of sense. Absolutely. And maybe even 50 years ago, a lot of the stuff made perfect sense, but the inability to say, okay, times have changed. This stuff doesn't make any sense in, anymore. You know, wet signatures is, is another one of my pet peeves. It's like, uh, yeah, are, me too. Like, are you kidding me? Really? Yeah, I have a, yeah, I have a, I have a phone that scans my face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, it's bizarre. Or, or I can't do, you know, virtual notarizations or I can't totally. virtually, you know, witness wills. It's like, but what would be the difference? Why? Yeah, right? exactly. So it's, it's that stuff. And, and again, hopefully COVID has gotten us over that hump. Um, and as long as we don't turn into Newfoundland, we'll, we'll, <laughs> well, and you know, I just want to, I was just thinking about Newfoundland there and, you know, to, you know, cut them a little bit of slack, I guess, think about how under-resourced the Newfoundland, you know, law society is who would be more or less responsible or, you know, the courthouses and, or the whole, the whole gambit. Like I would imagine that they're probably not very well funded and you got a couple of people in there being like, holy shit, this is a huge, this is a huge endeavor. No, thank you. Well, maybe I'm not going to cut him a lot of slack because look, Good. like we've had Skype since 2003. So come mm -hmm. on virtual hearings. We could have had for the last 15 years. So right. that's not a huge cost, you know, a, a microphone totally and a camera, not a problem. We could have been doing this on the phone 30 years ago, right. but not a big deal. Yeah, um, you're right. You're right. It's no, like you can use email, Zoom. You can literally you, use Zoom. Just go on Zoom. Down, yeah. Brett. Go on Zoom. <laughs> right. We can we can email documentation. So it just becomes a filing issue. Yeah. And so I mean, you don't have. So you set up some files. It's totally. it's it's it. It won't be amazing. Yeah. Right. There are different systems, but if you want to do it on the cheap, I don't see any reason why in 2020 a lot of these. Um, uh, technology-based systems can't be adopted because they're really not that expensive if you just go to something that's really, really basic. So right. I, totally. I'm not going to cut them any slack. You can cut them I slack. No, no. I think, <laughs> I think you answered the question perfectly and I am in full agreement with you. So, so Mitch, bring out your crystal ball here then and, and tell us, do, are we taking a giant leap forward as a result of COVID or is this going to slowly revert back to the norm like do you think that this will be that jumping off point for the legal profession or do you think that there's still some battles to be waged and won before we do adopt these common sense uh ways of doing things yeah my you know i have to differentiate between my heart and my head because <laughs> in my heart i want to say yeah this is it you know but i but i've been saying that for many many years um the, but surely, um, surely this is it. And uh, when we start to see clients of major law firms right. saying, we're not going to work in the office anymore. Um, so we're going to go virtual. You would think the natural extension of that is we is expect our service providers to also be following our lead and how that impacts, you know, your pricing for us. Um, 
I, but I, I don't know. I'd like to, I honestly, I'd really like to think that this is it. And the longer that we're in lockdown and we're longer that, yeah. that lawyers are out of their offices, the better it is for this kind of change. Mm-hmm. And right. so I'm, I'm happy that we're, you know, three months into it. I'm, I'm hoping that it'll be another three months, you know, for lawyers, not for everyone else. Cause everyone else, you know, has, has, um, uh, jobs and stuff that they really need to make money on. But if the lawyers stay out another few months, I think that'll eventually tip the balance um, right. because they'll, they'll get tired of paying for the, the marble palaces in the sky that are just sitting there empty. Eating and up their profit margins. Eating up their yeah. profit margins. And, and that's really what happens, right? Money talks. And so mm-hmm. finally, a bu- you know, there'll be a critical mass within each partner saying, you know what? how much money would we have saved if we had a different type of way of doing business? And you factor in that we're probably going to have a second wave, right? right. Which means we'll probably go into lockdown at some point in the next six to six Ugh, to I don't even months. want to think about that. Right. And maybe even a third <laughs> wave. And, and guess what? This ain't going to be the last pandemic. Right. And guess yeah. what? We have this thing called fire that tends to burn down <laughs> towns and stuff. So, you know, it's probably a good idea to not have all your stuff in your office anyways. So, you know, all these other factors are finally coming into play right. where, where I'm hoping the 2020s will really be that breakthrough adoption decade. Well, you're being true to your profession, Mitch, of being a great skeptic here. <laughs> I, have, I have this crazy idea, Mitch, that I'm going to throw at you. Okay. Because I think you're pretty familiar with the big shops. I think that the board of, you know, the... Like I'm from BLG, they've got like effectively a board of directors, the partnership board. Um, I think that everybody on that partnership board should be under 50. Yeah. I think that you should, you should come in mid career and get to reap the benefits of positive decisions you make. And like, you know, that is the core of the firm is like the people right in the heart of their career, 40 to 50, like that's who should be running the show. Not the guy that's 64 with one year left before he's politely asked to leave the partnership. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree because that, again, it goes back to legacy and making sure that there's long, long-term long thinking in control of the firm yeah. and not uh, short-termism, which is endemic throughout the profession. So I agree with you 100%, totally. That, we, that would be the way I would model the firm is have strictly age limits as to who runs the firm. Mm-hmm. Can which we do they that do. for politicians too? Yeah. But uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Brett. No, no, no. I, no, I was just laughing. I totally agree with you. I was thinking that today as well. I'm like, we've, you know, the U.S. Like, really? Yeah, seriously. Except, like in they're their sold. mid-70s? Like, they're they're, they're yeah. so old. It's, it's, it's bizarre. so bad. Yeah, <laughs> it's so it is bizarre. Crazy. <laughs> it is bizarre. Um, so before we, before we uh, let you go here, Mitch, we do, we do need to get your thoughts on how all of these changes that look like they're on the precipice of happening are going to affect legal education. Now, you are a, sorry, visiting professor, is that correct? Correct. Visiting professor at the University of Calgary Law School. Uh, and you're teaching a legal innovation course, if I'm also correct. Yes, yes. And so, so you're probably dealing with these exact issues. How, I, I, remember, I like even my, my legal education ended uh, about four years ago, so fairly recently. Uh, and we sat in a big auditorium and we, you know, pontificated on the finer points of law. And let me tell you, I came out and I did not know how to do anything. That was all. <laughs> 
I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm sure you are. I'm well, you sure didn't. You did are. you go to UFC? Well, I went to U of A. Well, see, that's the problem. <laughs> oh, 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 oh! Did I say that? Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, uh, there, yeah. Dealing with your type for a long time now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you how do you think that this will change the way that uh, our future lawyers are educated? Well, I think there there has to be a change in a couple things. Number one, I think law school is way too expensive. Yes. Um, even, you know, in, in University of Calgary, I, I don't know what the fees are for U of A, but U of C's are, are not the highest in the country. There are several university or law schools in, in Toronto that are just ridiculously <laughs> yeah, high. Insane, yeah. And, yeah. and quite frankly, I, I don't see the value for money in paying double, but Fair enough. People can make their own decisions, but the so what I think is interesting and maybe an out um, another outcome of COVID is law schools saying, "Do we need all their bricks and mortar? Can we do this in a different way to bring down the cost of education, which will open up a law school for a wider a range of people who think differently." And so that would be a good thing. I think in terms of how law is taught, I think there is a growing realization in some law schools, not all of them, that law is a business. So there has to be a business component right. to the law school uh, course load to say, okay, when you get out and you're a sole practitioner, what do you do? Don't leave it to the bar admissions people or law society to teach you that. And I think there also has to be an understanding of, um, the practical aspects of law and how, you know, technology can play a part of that. It's not a whole part, but it is an important part uh, of practicing law in that helps you deliver services to your clients in a very different way. I think technology is also interesting in the law school concept that if more professors use technology in their courses, I think you can make your courses a lot more interesting and a lot more real for for your students um, right. th that interplay. So, you know, to the extent that like, for example, um, when I'm speaking to the founders of Blue Jay Legal, which is a legal tech startup out of, out of uh, Toronto, mm -hmm. uh, that does- An amazing uh, startup sort of, out of sort Toronto. Of, yeah, yeah, amazing startup. It does, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, AI for, for tax, right? You, you answer a bunch of questions and it tells you what the response is in tax. And so you could use a tool like that in teaching how different fact changes or different other matters would change the outcome of a decision. And the students could see that in real time and saying, okay, but you know, here's, here's the fact pattern and here's how a court would, would handle it. But if we just change these two things, this is how that decision would change. And so I think that just creates a very interesting way to teach uh, law in, in a school setting. Right. Well, and Mitch, I remember when I, I came to your class and got, you know, an opportunity to chat for a little bit, I'm pretty sure you have ended up finally like cutting it off because we were like 30 or 40 minutes overtime because there was so much intrigue and somebody, you know, obviously it was the legal innovation class. So it was a good audience, but like I was <laughs> shocked by just how interested your students were to, you know, learn about the little company I was working on at the time. Oh yeah, no, no, you were a hit. Like you, we, we could have gone on for days and days and days. It was amazing. And, and I, and I cut it off really. Cause, cause I 
I felt bad for you guys because we said, <laughs> well, if you come in for, you know, 45 minutes or so, it'd be no problem. And we were there forever. But Bitch, uh, as, as you get to know me better, awesome. and I'm sure we will. Like, <laughs> if we're talking about Goodler, I can talk all day. Yeah, oh, my God. It's true. <laughs> like, yeah, I, the appetite is there for students once you, you light that fire. And I can tell you that every year it's the same for me. The first few classes, people are kind of going, you know, I don't know what this dude is really talking about, but, you know, I need to... I, I needed an extra course and this seemed to fit in, you know, the gaps in my timetable. It sounded easy. <laughs> yeah. But by the end, but by the end there, there's, you can see that the light bulbs are going off. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. I get it. You know, I can see different possibilities. And, and so when, when you guys came in, it was perfect. Well, then we hired one of your students. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even better. And yeah. she was fantastic. Well, and uh, you know, Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Brett. No, you go ahead. Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you how you'd make your class a smash hit is if you were able to teach that to second and third year calls, if second and third year lawyers, they would be all over that because I think once they would see the inside workings of how firms work, I bet they would be uh, <laughs> four or five times as receptive, but I'm glad I'm, it's very encouraging to hear that you are getting that response that you are as great to hear. I got to touch on, I got to ask you one more question too, for definitely sure. before we wrap up today related to school. What are your thoughts on big firm recruitment and OCIs? Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I got big problems with them. <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, my concern is that students think that big law firms are the only way to go. Yep. And, and, and the whole law school experience funnels you and OCIs are a great example, just funnels you into that is, the prize right <laughs> and it's it's just if you ask me what the alternative is i'm not sure what the alternative is but it's just troubling for me and even when you go through the law schools you see every room or classroom is you know donated by this big law firm and that just feeds that whole if i don't work at a big downtown firm my life is over and so we have to we have to change that mentality uh, on the other hand, the law schools do need money to fund stuff. So, you know, sole practitioners or, or small firms of four or five guys are not going to be, you know, kicking in 50 grand over, you know, over two years or 50 grand a year over three years um, to the, to the law schools. You, mm -hmm. you tell me what they were, you tell me your view. No, no, so, I, I mean, you kind of, you kind of nailed it for me. And it's just, it's just, it's not that there's something inherently wrong with working in a big law firm. And I think that that environment does work for a lot of people. I think I was probably a little too entrepreneurial to, to really find a home there, but I still had a tremendous experience in my four and a half years at BLG. And, you know, I, I worked with Matt there, but, you know, I think we could both attest to the fact that we got jobs there totally blind. Yeah. I had, I had, I didn't even know what I was really applying for. They're like, why would you pick this firm over this firm? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. You guys just told me to do this. Yeah, I'm, used exactly. to ex I'm used to excelling at stuff. So, you know, give me a target. I'm going to go chase it. Yeah. yeah exactly. And I think that the law schools have to take more responsibility in, and, and, you know, maybe it's not taking away OCIs or anything like that. Maybe it's just like an education piece to, you know, what are the other options? Like, what does it look like working for a small firm? Cause I've got friends that, you know, articled at small firms and had phenomenal experiences and, you know, got a level of mentorship that I never received. And, you know, I think that just educating students that there are other options and you're not a failure if you don't get a big firm job is really important and something they're missing right now. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and look, 
a smaller firm, 100%, your articles and your, any work experience is going to be better just because they don't have the bodies that, so you have to do real work, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to the bigger firm where, you know, not every firm, but certainly there's a lot of stuff where they're saying, okay, uh, we need a body to do some random thing that really isn't related to. It's an assembly line. Ex- at times. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Ex- excelling, you know, your, your career experience, but look, the, the interesting thing to me for, for technology and where we're going now, especially during COVID, is that do the 2020s and 2030s become the era of the smaller firms because, mm. A, you control your life a lot better. You control your, your, your income. You know, you could actually make more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> because it's all your money. You don't have to kick off, you know, 40, 50% off to the firm to cover their overhead and stuff. And so are we getting to the point where people start to come to that realization and say, gosh, I don't need the bells and whistles and I'll make a really good living. And I'm thinking specifically of partners, uh, either mid-level partners or junior partners who are saying the same thing right now and say, you know what, actually, if I just worked from home and took maybe one other person with me and they work from home our client and do work for the same clients at the same rates. Oh my God, we wouldn't know what to do with all the money or we just reduce our rates and our clients are even happier. And Mm. I think, you know, there's no reason why we can't do that because we're buttressed by all the technological advances. Now, I mean, before I did this in-house gig, I was closing, you know, multi-million dollar deals from, my dining room table. And it freaked me out every time I did. I was like, oh my God, right? You know, when I worked at my old firm, I would, you know, work here with my secretary and my, or my min assistant and my clerk. And all three of us would do this deal and all this kind of stuff. And yet here I, I do it all myself. And guess what? The check goes all into my bank account. So totally. yeah. that yeah. kind of thinking, I think, um, needs to be thought through a lot more. Well, and yeah, and you know, I wouldn't, I would even, you know, the way that I would sell that idea isn't, you know, you're going to make way more money than you make at the big firm. You're going to have so much more time to enjoy the money you have, which is still going to be very significant. You know, what the, the most recent, I shouldn't say the most recent, there's been a couple since, but one of the very most recent good lawyers that we brought on the platform, you know, he was a, a huge, exciting person to bring on for me. And we got connected because he's 45. And he spent 10 years at Bennett Jones and he's been running his own thing for eight years yeah. and he loves it Yeah, because I just serve up clients on a platter for him through the good lawyer platform and he services them. And we had the, the it was the coolest review. I'm glad I went on this tangent. We had a client <laughs> call me and tell me how their experience was with Andrew. And she said, Andrew was epic. Wow. And, I have never heard a lawyer described as epic before. <laughs> and again, like he's offering services at good lawyer prices, which are a cut rate compared to the you know firms he was at before, mm-hmm. but he's making good money because he has no overhead at all. He works from home. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's, it's amazing. And so that's, that's why good lawyers are so well situated. I mean, I mean, you know, <laughs> I gave him, I gave him the price list and I was so nervous. I was like, Oh God, I wasn't going to say when he sees the prices. He's like, yeah, I can do all of them except I don't do trademarks because I don't do trademarks. I was like, amazing. Okay. Thank you. Perfect. Goodbye. <laughs> That's awesome. Perfect. 
Yeah. And and now that we're all the way through that, OCIs stand for on-campus interviews <laughs> for, for, for um, you non-legal nerds out there. <laughs> so, I did, I did yeah. warn Matt that I was going to talk more than usual on this podcast. No, it's good, I, it's as good. I said, I'm a Mitch fanboy, so I get to, yeah. I get to talk to <laughs> So So Mitch, we do want to be respectful of your time, but before we let you go, uh, we just like to ask, is there any, uh, any resources that you find particularly helpful for you uh, with, with this type of uh, work or even just in general uh, for things that have helped you along the way? Twitter, 100% Twitter. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a massive, massive Twitter guy. Yeah, honestly, and people think it's silly, but the community on Twitter in legal innovation space is A, really fun, really helpful, really open, and will talk to you you know, about anything as much as you want. And that's really where I get a lot of information globally because I, I take a global outlook on stuff. So I'm following people all over the world, connecting with them, talking to them about versus stuff. So if you're interested in this area, those, those of you listeners is honestly get on Twitter. Um, you know, if you're, if you're new to Twitter, then, you know, follow me and see, and see who I'm retweeting or who I'm interacting with and then follow them and then, you know, follow the tray, the, the trail around, but that's, it's a massive, massive resource. And then, you know, of course, read Suskin. Yes. That's yeah. amazing. Honestly, I did not know that. Yeah, me neither. I have a Twitter account, apparently, according to our social media girl, but I've never <laughs> used it. So I'm going to be on there tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. I got I to gotta go dust mine off here. Yeah. It's, uh, well, I do like reading them all, but I, I get into the politics too much and that turns ugly real quick. So uh, hopefully we'll find some fresher voices in the yeah. legal innovation area. Yeah, you got you to gotta stay. Like I stay away from the politics because oh, it gets crazy. So it does. I, exactly. So I can't so handle silly. it. Can't handle it. Uh, okay. So we'll, and that leads us into our very last thing. If people want to find you, where, where where can they do that? And we'll include all uh, these in the show notes. Obviously. Uh, uh, on Twitter. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Twitter handle is at Emmy Kowalski. Uh, my website is Kowalski.ca or, you know, connect up with me on LinkedIn or yeah, and that's easy. And um, we got to, you know, I don't know if I'm sure Matt will mention this in the show notes, but I'll give it another plug right now. Please your new podcast, Mitch. Absolutely. It was like, I was, was listening excellent. to like, People that I've been looking for exactly. forever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you. Yeah, the, the the podcast is called "Pardon My Objection." It's on Spotify and iTunes and uh, a bunch of others. So, it's it's just a a fun. It's like this web. You know, it's it's like this podcast is exactly like this. But it's just you know bantering and chatting about uh, some interesting concepts with some interesting people all around the globe. Awesome doesn't get much better than that. Well, we just want to thank you once again for uh, taking the time to come on. And uh, yeah, no, that was, this was an excellent, excellent uh, chat. I, I had a, I got schooled in the history of the billable hours. So thank you for that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, we really appreciate you taking the time. No problem. Thanks a lot, guys. This was really, really fun. I really enjoyed it. So oh, thanks good. for having me. Good. Yeah. Anytime you're hanging out with Brett, it's usually a good time. So <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Okay. Cheers, guys. Thanks again to Mitch for being on the show and for providing us with a very entertaining breakdown of many of the issues facing the legal profession. The Good Lawyer Show is produced by Brock Patrick. If you liked what you heard, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a quick second to give us a five-star rating. And of course, make sure you hit that subscribe button to, to ensure that you are not missing any nuggets of wisdom from our fantastic guests. Until next time, we hope you have a great week.